You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Jesus, uh, we, we love you. We need you. <clears throat> we want you to be the face that we look at the most. And, and uh, <clears throat> we confess, God, that we're so distracted and um, that our hearts actually love so many so many different things, and so. Um, but you've given us you've given us a few tools um, to keep setting our hearts in front of you over and over. And so, help us um, engage these tools. I pray that you would even write new things on our heart this morning as we as we talk and we're, as we're together as friends. So, pray that in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, my uh, liturgical story, which is uh, um, morning. Uh, which is a great way to, to start a conversation uh, when you meet another pastor, church leader, worship leader, whatever, is ask them what their liturgical journey is because um, you'll, find, uh, you'll find a lot of their, their life story inside of it. But my, uh, my liturgical story is I was uh, raised up in a Baptist church uh, until about seventh grade. Um, there was something inside of me about seventh grade. I would call it, you know, pride. Uh, they said, uh, they said, oh, you know what? Th- these aren't my people. You know, I don't need this. You know, blah blah blah. So basically, I spent my junior high and high school years, you know, generally unchurched. You know, but had all the roots of, of church in me, and uh, just kind of a fun-loving, wild child. And uh, um, around 17, right before I graduated, God really saved me. I mean, there was a, there was a slow build-up to to that, but He really got my heart. And, uh, and I radically threw everything down and just pursued him. And uh, um, so I was, at that time, I was uh, a youth intern and working for Young Life and, uh, you know, playing some music. You know, if you're, if you're 17 and you're walking generally with God, you're going to probably end up leading worship somewhere. And uh, some of you guys are like, yeah, that's what happened to me. So... Um, so as I'm doing that stuff, I, I meet a, an older man. Uh, he's a businessman, but he's just got a heart for college kids. And he just starts gathering up college kids, and we just start to experience the presence of God in really dramatic ways. And that's really where I was learning to lead worship. You know, I would, um, we'd go to these little meetings. There'd be 50, 100 college kids in there, and, and uh, I'd be leading, you know, and I was still young in the Lord. But he would he would just whisper to me, you know. There would be they'd be really singing and very extroverted and all kinds of um, beautiful charismatic things happening in the room. And he'd whisper to me, he'd just say, "Hey, just uh, um, look around the room and ask God what He's doing. Sing about Jesus. Sing about the Scripture." And he wasn't a worship leader, but those are some pretty good pretty good tools, you know. It's like look around the room, ask God what He's doing, sing about Jesus, you know, sing the Scriptures. So I did that for a long time, and somewhere in the midst of that, that became a church, and uh, I started traveling itinerantly. Um, I had, you know, I, I, I led at conferences and did concerts and songwriting for a good 20 years, and uh, so in the midst of that, that church was growing. So, was, so I went from traditional Baptist to hyper-charismatic. That hyper-charismatic church eventually turned into a the best, the best uh, moniker I know to use is emergent church. Um, so, so we were that for a while. 
toward the end of that time, and I'm still traveling itinerantly and doing lots of ministry. I'm, I'm pretty deep into ministry, and around the, um, my early 30s, my life just broke. And uh, the, the pain and experience and, uh, and uh, everything that life was leading up to left me so, like, broken. And it was something that I didn't create, although I know I participated. It's something that just happened in life. Loss, death, betrayal, all these things just pile and smash you down, you know? And I remember sitting in the back of the, this church that was a charismatic church that, was, that became an emergent church. I'd been a part of that for 12 years, different, different roles in the church. And I remember sitting in the back of that church and thinking, I don't belong with these people. I remember watching them worship, and they were like lifting their hands, and I felt so busted up and so twisted that I was like, I don't, I don't belong with these people. So I had a couple years where I, I just didn't go to church, and I, I still, you know, tried to walk with God and uh, serve the church and was faithful, but um, had my own systems of accountability and all those things. Not the best way to do it, but there was some learning there, and uh, um, as that time closed up. Um, uh, about a little, about a decade ago, I started with the, the church I'm at now, and there was a lot of healing that happened. You know, I, I went went back to these people, and I had to I had to kind of unzip my chest and say, God, you know, help me to love your church. And um, it was during that time you really helped me love his church. And think about it; it's like you you think about churches, you think about it in in one way where it's just brick and mortar and people and services. It can be something that um, um, that you can point at and be angry with. If you look at it as God's wife, it becomes very um, very difficult to be angry with her. You know, it's okay for me to be mad at my wife. You guys can't be mad at my wife and start a fight with me. Um, so uh, I started falling in love with God's church again, and uh, that led me on a on a long journey of like, well, how do you how do I love your wife, God? How do I how do I take care of her? And, and there's there's lots of directions to go inside of that, but um, specifically being um, becoming the, the worship pastor at that church, so I was just attending, and then eventually I became the worship pastor at that church, and um, I started to try to think like, well, how do I how do I how do I love people here in a in a broad stroke? I know how to love people and sit with them, listen to them, pastor them. You know, remind them of the Word of God. Remind them of the love of Jesus. I know to do those things. But how do I take, you know, what, what started at 700, it's now about 3,000 people. How do I take that many people and, like, you know, guide them toward, toward you? And uh, that started me on a, a journey in liturgy. And, uh, and I actually love liturgy quite a bit. Um, I also hate religion. So... Um, Watching carefully over those two pieces is um, is something I'll, I really want to do because something liturgical can become can start to feel religious and cold, um, but <clears throat> real liturgy is supposed to keep waking you up, you know, waking your heart up and helping you fall in love uh, over and over again. It's a rhythm, and so currently now I um, I'm the I'm one of the elders at Frontline Church in Oklahoma City. I'm the worship pastor. There's four congregations. There's about to be five, so I oversee. I help. I'm on a smaller team that oversees the five congregations, 
and uh, particularly I, I train worship leaders. So I've got about 40 worship leaders um, that I'm training right now, and um, they're all the different places, all different, you know, along the pipeline. They're in all different spots. Uh, but my hope is like to to um, help them fall in love with God, help them fall in love with the church, and then um, help them become healthy and whole as they can, as I can, and um, and then help them have the skill, you know, finally to help other people do those things. Um, so that's currently what I'm doing. So let me give you a quick definition of liturgy. You might have to do some shorthand because I I speak in run-on sentences. Um, so liturgy is an order of worship that's intentionally shaped to create space where the human heart slash story can collide with God's story. It's ruled and fueled by the Word of God and Holy Spirit to form us and send us. So I think about, I first kind of think about um, Isaiah 61, Spirit of the Sovereign God's on me to do all these amazing things. Some good, good news to the poor, beauty for ashes, um, you know, headdress for, for mourning, uh, good news to the captive, all these beautiful things. So when I first start thinking about liturgy, that's where my heart goes. I know it's not like deeply, you know, uh, you wouldn't open up a theology book on liturgy and find that, but that, that scripture, that passage um, connects my heart to the life that happens in liturgy and what I'm doing when I set up a liturgy, when I set up an order for human story to connect with God's story. So I start thinking about all the beautiful things that could happen if people <coughs> intersect with, with God in a real authentic but you know sturdy biblically and heartfully way. You know, just all these things merge and the Spirit of God starts to uh, really interact with the story. And part of that comes from the part of my liturgical story where I sat in the back of the church that I'd been a part of for 12 years and thought, I don't fit with these people. When, when you are on stage... You, you, tend to, you tend to think, uh, what's the best case scenario for, for me to lead these people and for the other leaders around me to see that I'm doing well leading these people? And it's a dangerous side of the coin to be on. It's a real side of the coin, but if you just sit on that side of the coin, you're not thinking of, of the depressed and the weak and the broken and the abused and the betrayed. And we forget them when they're there. And sometimes they look like, Sometimes they're the ones like with their hands way up, weeping, and we go, oh man, they must be really walking with God. No, they're starving for the help of God. And so we take all these people in all different places of their journey, and we want to intersect them um, with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, where their story reconnects to God's story. That's what we all need, every one of us in here. So I'm going to give you five, uh, five quick things that liturgy is. And uh, the first one is Christ formation. So how do we love? How do we love all of our all of our friends and all the 
the sojourners that come through our church and we want to help form Christ in them. And this is Ephesians 4. We just want to form Christ and we want them to look a little bit more like Jesus. We want them to love a little bit more like Jesus loved. Every time they walk away, we want to remind them what Jesus did, what he was like, and help them help them become more like that. We want to form Christ in them. And so there's uh, there's a few ways we do that. We we uh, we offer the sturdiest picture of God we can. And I don't want to go too far into that, but sturdy picture of God means that we are really using the Word of God. Everything that you've been hearing in the conference, we really are using the Word of God to help form the services. But a sturdy picture of God keeps from the Scriptures keeps us from making up God. The God of our imagination can't save, can't do anything. He's mute. He doesn't heal. He doesn't save. He doesn't do anything. So the, the, the sturdy picture of God from the scriptures, that's the God um, that does all this miraculous stuff. So we want to offer that God really clearly, really well. Now, how do we not offer that is by, um, by us just kind of you know, going to the whiteboard, making up our services as we go along. What are the songs that feel the best? What are the words that feel the best? You know, what makes us look the best? All those things are the things that take away from that sturdy picture of God. Um, we, want, we want to help people look more like Jesus, and we want to offer them a Trinitarian picture. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Spirit of God is the voice of God. The Spirit of God takes the love of the Father and pours into the people's hearts. Um, Jesus is our, our mediator. You know, I, when I learned uh, that, that uh, the pressure was off me as a worship leader to be the mediator for people to get to God, that was a big relief. It was a huge relief because for the first, you know, chunk of years leading worship, I just really took it on myself to like, you know, I, I mean, I was even pushy. You know, it was like, come on, get your hands up. I still say that stuff, but I'd say, if you're comfortable, let's lift up our hands together. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, I, you know, it's like a baby taking a little pacifier. You could, there's moments where it's like, yeah, give me the pacifier, and there's moments where like, Pfft. and um, man, we want to, we want to offer people. You know, Jesus is the mediator. He's the one that gets people to the Father. And what a relief that we don't, we don't have to do that. So, Spirit of God is the voice of God, carries the love of God, illuminates the Scripture, illuminates Jesus. Jesus is our mediator, our savior, our redeemer. It's what we want to look at. And the Father, He's our home. He's the blessing. And He's the He's the home and the blessing that every single one of us and all of our friends and everyone in the world is wrestling for and toward, and sometimes we don't even know it. And that blessing and that home is found through the mediator Jesus. And so we're all there looking for home. Look, we're wrestling for the Father's blessing. It's found in Jesus, and then we get to this this fatherless home. So, this first thing is spiritual formation. It's a trinity, finding Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all these things. Uh, number two is uh, affection orientation. Um, our hearts, uh, they tend to love and love and love all the other things that God made. So they're all good things. But when we fall in love with them first... It starts to twist everything else out. And so a liturgy um, is for Christ formation and it's secondly for affection orientation. So it's there to help people return to God over and over every Sunday. Now, do we want them living like that day to day? Of course. 
but um, we want them to come in on a Sunday in case they didn't try to live like that. Um, we want to help reorient their affections toward God. Hey, just a reminder, you've probably loved everything else but God this week. Or maybe you loved lots of other things and God laughs. And that's beautiful. But let's put our first love back up to its place. Jesus is here. Look at Him. He's amazing. He's beautiful. And there's a way to like know Him. There's a way to see Him. There's a way to experience Him. And uh, when you experience Him, everything in your heart that's been splintered off in a thousand directions will fall back in love with Him. So come and fall back in love with Him. Um, so we, um, um, now this is where I, I love, I'm going to give you, the, um, inside of this affection orientation, uh, I'm going to give you, I think it's six little metaphors, um, real quick, of what's happening in the room. Um, just like, because God is real and the scriptures are real and the gathering of the people of God is powerful and it's familial, these are at least some of the things that are happening in the room. So this is still under number two, affection orientation. But delight is happening in the room. We're delighting in God. He's delighting in us. And um, in Christ, all that's happening. There's this exchange going on, this transformational exchange. Um, I'll call it letter B, fountain. There's this fountain of truth that's happening. This is why um, the lyrics that we sing in our songs are important to be fueled with truth and not with um, opinions in our songs. So, because when when there's a fountain of truth coming out, like if we all started singing together about the attributes of God, even if I were sad in this place and I was leaning over and I couldn't sing, I would hear the people of God sing the truths of God and it would fall on my ears and it would start to affect my heart. And a short story that I usually tell much longer is uh, I was in the back of my church years ago, slumped over, uh, really sad, and um, a homeless man he, who's been drinking comes in, and he is sitting right next to me singing as loud as he can. And by the end of the song, I, my, my heart is lifted, and I'm standing up next to him, and uh, we're singing together. And uh, we're singing the Word of God and the truth of God. But what he'd been singing... Uh, his his uh, the words just kept falling over me and changing me. So you have uh, delight, you have fountain. Letter C would be missile. Our worship is warfare against um, the enemies of God and the gospel. And uh, so there's something beautiful about the announcing and the proclamation it is uh, very warlike. I know we can't always use that language, but. The reason why, I, you know, when I was traveling, doing ministry um, from a different stage, I might say, let me hear you. You know, let me hear you sing. And uh, that was more probably for me. You know, I don't know. I'm a mixed bag of motives. But um, that was probably more for me. Now, in the local church, when I said, Look, let's sing. Come on, sing loud. It's because I know that we're warring together in a way. And so um, we want to hear the voices. We want to hear the truth. We want to sense the delight. Um, D, window. It's a window into God's heart to see what He loves, to feel what He loves, to see what He doesn't love, see what makes Him cry, what makes Him laugh. You know, God, we want to we want to see into your heart. 
uh, ABCDE, <laughs> uh, it's megaphone. The gospel is the power of God to save. So we want to sing the loudest gospel. It's the power of God to save. I can't save people, uh, but I can, I can announce the gospel. I can proclaim the gospel in a song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. He would give His only Son to make a wretched treasure. I can announce that. And it's a megaphone to the gospel, the power of God to save. Uh, and then the last one, uh, the last metaphor I put on here is just just homage. Just a, some, something of gratitude, something of bowing, something that helps people um, uh, see and experience what God has done to the point that they respond to that. I'm grateful. I bow. I kneel. I'm responding. So those are some of the things that are going on in the room just by the very nature that God is real, this, the, the Scripture is God-breathed, it's real. The gathering of the, of the people of God is real. So we have Christ formation, number one. We have affection orientation. Number three, we have gospel remembrance. And uh, this is, uh, liturgy lives in four movements that help us rehearse the gospel. Um, this is a real simple way to kind of help you like think about order uh, in your services. But gospel remembrance is one of the most important things we do because it's, it's weird. It's, it's the easiest thing to forget. And what gospel remembrance does is it helps you remember like God's at work. Um, I was distant. He loved me. He, he brought me in. Now I'm a son. Now I need to repent of the things that still breaks his heart. Now I need to be reminded by Him who I am. Now I need to hear the Word of God. Now I need to respond to the Word of God at the table. Now I need to be sent back into my city and the power of God uh, to work and to live life with my neighbors and my friends. So, Gospel Remembrance. Liturgy lives in four movements that helps us remember that. You gather. So the gathering, inside of the gathering, it has like call to worship, singing, Confession assurance, um, worship and giving, some of those things. That's all the gathering pieces of the, the family of God coming together. And then uh, step two is is the the word of movement. Two is the word of God, the proclaimed word of God. Um, in its simplest form, this is just the the preacher in proclamation of what God has said in the word of God and unfolding that for us. And it's supposed to call to our heart. It's supposed to like, a little bit like going to the chiropractor. It's supposed to realign us. And uh, I still listen to some of the same sermons. You know, you, you go to church over and over and over and over. And you're like, it's kind of the same sermon. And uh, man, it's supposed to, when we come with the right direction, it's supposed to like, over and over. It could be the same thing over and over. And it's supposed to like, make our heart come alive. Remind us where we're heading. Remind us where, what we're about, who we are. And uh, so you sit under, under the Word of God as it comes out of a broken man's mouth and changes your heart. So that's the Word of God. We gather, we listen to the Word. Uh, the third movement is the, the table. It's just the, the response. And under the table, I just want to say it's the table of God. So it's, it's um, and what a beautiful thing where we look backward and we see what 
Jesus gave us on the cross. He gave his life on the cross. But we, we stand right now as sons and daughters. So I always say when we come to the table, that we, there should be a little bit of dancing. Because it's not just the crucifixion. I grew up in a setting where it was like, you know, once every few months we would take communion and it was kind of like lights out, candles, sad, crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, okay, that's just, that's a third of this. But the, the second movement of that was that that crucifixion led to a resurrection that made us sons and daughters. So when I take communion, I take it under the resurrection and then I'm a son. And uh, that changes the tone of my, of my eating and drinking. And, uh, and then as I take communion, I also look forward and I think, man, Jesus is coming again, wiping my tears away. And uh, this is powerful. And that leads me to a place where we're, we're ready for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us. Now, I'm, I'm a, a charismatic in the sense that I believe God can do anything at any time in any way He wants. It could look however He wants it to look. And I welcome the peculiar um, just because I don't, I, I do actually, I, I almost said I don't want to control anything, but actually I do want to control everything. But um, my, my deepest desire is that I don't control anything, that uh, I stand in a moment and I go, God, would you come and do anything that you want to do? Because you can, you can bring the dead to life. You, could, you can make an arm grow back if you wanted to. That's who you are. You could do all those things. Now, it is all His choice and His time and His way. And He also uses all those broken things to bring us to Him. So we know that too. Um, but that ministry time is, is key because there's so much life in it. Let me, let me just invite you guys to this time. We have a few people up front that lead community groups or life groups or whatever you call them. And some of our pastors. And we want to invite you if, you. if you feel broken in your heart or your body or your mind... God actually really cares about that, and we want to pray for you. We want to put our hand on your shoulder and ask God to speak. And, uh, and let people come down and uh, put your hand on their shoulder in, in a non-creepy way and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to just pour out on them and encourage them. and Listen for, for words from the Scriptures and maybe, maybe look and see if God paints a picture in your heart uh, that would encourage them you know, or lead them in a direction. And, uh, and make it, it's, it's real natural. God's just speaking. It's reminding us of the Word of God and painting pictures for us to pray for people. Um, and then the sending. We always cl- kind of close with um, a benediction, which is a blessing. Like, this is a blessing from the, the authority of the Word of God. And I'll invite people to hold out their hands and I'll just say, hey, there's a God that is able to keep us from stumbling. And uh, I want to just pray that for you guys. There's a God who's, I'm, I'm asking that His face and His countenance shine on you as you go back into your city and back into your jobs. And, uh, and then we send them back in there. You know, we'll just say, be sent. Be sent back in your city with, you, with the blessing and the authority of Jesus. And that's training. Every little piece of this, and I haven't broken down, in, I, don't, I didn't break it down into the micro categories, but um, every little piece of this it, um, it forms Christ in us. It's, um, it reorients our affections. It helps us remember the gospel and the order of the gospel. Even the very, the very welcome, when you say, okay, everybody greet each other. We say, what we say is, hey man, when we, when we were totally against God, he, was, he totally loved us and was for us. 
with that in your heart, you guys go greet each other. And uh, that just reminds us of the gospel over and over. Um, number four is, uh, make sure I'm doing okay on time, kingdom reflection. So we have Christ formation, affection, orientation, gospel remembrance. This is kingdom reflection. Liturgy reflects the kingdom and sends people out in their city, town, to live on mission in their vocation. So just a few quick notes under that. I'll read it again. Kingdom reflection. Liturgy reflects the kingdom and sends people to live on mission in vocation. This is uh, a church that is prophetic for their city. So uh, a church that's prophetic for their city is rooted deep in the scriptures and the truth of God. Um, We hold fast. We dig our, our feet deep. We let the roots go deep from the word of God and what God's called us to. And we stand steady and sturdy no matter what winds are blowing us back and forth. We are a prophetic picture of God's heart and His presence and His, His desires for the world. And um, it's not our city and it's not our world that tells God what He's doing now and that He's thinking differently now than He used to think. You know, the culture keeps shifting and changing and we're not going to go through what all those things are. But it just does and it keeps doing it and it will keep doing it. Uh, until the until Christ's return, it just keeps shifting, and it whispers in our ear, "No, this is how it's supposed to be. No, this is how it's supposed to be." And a church that's prophetic um, digs their heels down in a Jesus-style way, not in an arrogant, jerky way, but in a Jesus-style way. They dig their feet down, they let their roots go deep, and they say, "I know this wind is blowing hard, but we got to keep our eyes on Jesus and follow His heart into His truth." And that's what we want to be. So you're prophetic for your city. Um, the other thing is you you um, you aren't a, you you aren't against your city. You're not against them. You're also you also don't look like them and act like them. Um, but you but you invite them in. You invite them into a kingdom reflection where there's um, where there's beauty, and there's power, and there's the presence of God. And uh, there's this there's this beautiful explosion of um, people who are journeying through this life step into a place that's prophetic for their city, um, but reflects the kingdom of God. And so this reflection of the kingdom of God means that there's something otherly going on here. And my wife has been reminding me like. Um, one of the first things we could do is like live first in the potential miracle of God. And I think sometimes we, we just kind of have our eyes down here on earth like, oh well, it's kind of like this as opposed to like, look, man, there's, there's God's movement is everywhere. And a miracle could happen anywhere at any time. And uh, so we want to be a church that's prophetic for our city, but also reflects the kingdom of God in terms of let me c- come into this space and let me lift you to a place through our liturgy that shows you another world, another way of living, another way of seeing, where we say, come in and be transformed. You know, come in, come in as you are. And we believe in a God that transforms. And that leads me to number five. And then we'll do some Q&A. Number five is, um, so we've got Christ formation, 
affection orientation, gospel remembrance, kingdom reflection, and number five is aesthetic hospitality. And um, this is very tangible for for us, Um, and we aren't perfect at it, but it's tangible for us. Liturgy is hospitable to all people on their journey, and it welcomes everyone as they are. Um, That to me, um, the very welcoming of everyone as they are, I literally mean anyone. When I first started ministry and I was working for Young Life, I had I had the craziest looking kids that enjoyed hanging out with me. It was so bizarre. Um, so this would be like early 90s. So the grunge thing was like full force. And so these kids, you know, they all look like Kurt Cobain. Their hair's hanging over their head, holes everywhere, long, long sweaters. And they smelled probably a little bit like what I imagined Kurt Cobain smelled like. And I would try to take them to church, you know, because my church was like, we got to tell people about the gospel. And I would bring them into church. And um, th- there would be greeters at the door, and they would say, hey, can you take off your hat? Can you pull your hair back? And they would just, I was like, man, I'm trying to pull, I'm trying to pull these guys in here so they can see. And eventually, you know, I was like, let me quit coming to church, you know. They didn't want to be tweaked out from the outside, you know. Um, so there's something about the, the top level of hospitality says, I love you. You were made in God's image. I know that we're not alike. I know that we don't think alike. I know, I know we don't see the same, same way. But I love you. I know that you're dressed like that. I know that you orient like that. But I love you. You're made in God's image. Please come in. But we don't just stop there. You know, I also believe that God transforms. And my hope is the longer they're inside of this kingdom reflection and this Christ formation and this affection orientation that God, the Spirit of God, not me, God, the Spirit of God is interacting with them and showing them, I love you. I'm calling you to something new, something different, something that's alive, something that's full, something that was uh, my, my beginning intention for you. So um, come as you are. So how do we do that? Uh, some of the ways that we do that is looking at your space. What, what is aesthetic hospitality in your space? I mean, it's picking up some trash. You know, I tell my musicians all the time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you had some coffee this morning. Hide it behind the monitor, throw it away, move your jacket, move your bag. Um, we have a crew that goes through the bathrooms. There's nothing worse on a Sunday morning than the men's bathroom. And um, I'm telling you, it's one of the places that we can proclaim the gospel in a brand new way <laughs> is the men's bathroom on Sunday morning. So, um, and I've started to try to like be like, okay, this is this is my job too. I don't just have this crew that goes, okay, take care of the bathroom. So, I'll go in there and I'll try to like grab trash, throw it away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But those things um, clear blockage away so that people can walk in and and see and experience the gospel. Something clean, something thoughtful, something put together. You're having people over at your house. What do you do? You kind of situate. You clean. You you um, move things around, you know, say, come on in, there's a candle, there's some nice smells, there's, there's this and that. So it's hospitality, it moves them in. And then, uh, so space, secondly would be language. Um, I am trying, and I'm, having, I'm trying to help my liturgists and worship leaders um, slowly but surely use a language that's, hosp- that's hospitable. And what I mean by that is, 
you know what? Um, you don't. When you're sitting across from your friend at the at the coffee shop, you don't say, you know, I was, I was unto the Lord the other day, and I was unto Him, and we were, I was at His feet, gazing upon His face. You don't just talk like that naturally. So try to talk in a way that um, that opens language to all kinds of people. Now, what that doesn't mean. I always say, our, the Word of God is sacred. We don't apologize for that. That's how we talk out of the Word of God. But when you're just talking, you talk in a way that you would talk with this sacred language. And in that sense, it, it says to people from the outside, hey, I'm, I'm, you're not just listening to a bunch of insiders or watching a game that you've never seen before. We want to welcome you here. We're using these words. We also have this holy, beautiful scripture, and so you're going to hear us read that as well. And those two things together start to stir together, and it's a, it's that hospitality. Um, quickly, a third way is just instruction. It would be like if people came into your house, there's the bathroom, um, these are my kids, you gotta, you got to get to know my kids, they're great, this is my wife, um, have a seat right here, what can I get you, just some instruction. And the last thing under that is just connection. So thinking of how do you how do you have a heartful, authentic connection with people? And with a, a greeting, with a handshake, with a hug, with a um, what's next, all those things. Those are hospitable things. So you have Christ formation, affection orientation, gospel remembrance, kingdom reflection, and aesthetic hospitality. Now, I give you those five things because I think those are, um, those are key points that are helpful to forming whatever liturgy you are denominationally, whatever liturgy you are in your style of church, um, all those things. These, these kind of speak big picture, like what's the heart that we want to carry? What's really key here? What's really important in the gathering church? How do I really love the people that are coming in this space? And those are five beautiful ways. When I step back and I'm like, if those five things could really happen, and how should they happen, and what does that mean? That helps me start to lay out the next few steps. Now that goes differently for everyone, but um, it's a starting place. And so I wanted to just offer you guys those. Now what that means for you is um, to, to step back and some of my, some of my, some of my best work is sitting on my side porch by a fireplace for an hour and just sitting and thinking, thinking, praying, trying to go, well, God, what is, what is that supposed to be like? What would that be like? And, uh, and there's little things that'll come to my mind, and, and I'm, I'm hopefully assuming that they're, they're God speaking. So uh, my desire for you guys would be to take these five things and be like, okay, what does that mean for my gathering? What does that look like? Um, man, okay. So we got about 20 minutes uh, to do some Q&A. And uh, anything that was unclear, and I know that there will be, um, or anything that you need, like, more specifically, I'm like, how do, you, how do you do that? What's that process look like? And I'll try to stumble through and answer questions. Yeah, just, I mean, just give us an example, maybe how this plays out at... at Frontline Church on Sunday. 
where you're writing a liturgy and you're taking these steps? And kind of how does that flesh out on a Sunday? When you okay. Um, so we at this point have landed on a few things. We know we're going to have a call to worship. We know we are going to sing worship together. Um, the call to worship is verbatim scripture. Um, the confession assurance is something that we write. Um, let me go through that process real quick. Um, we used to use, well, we still, we still use the Book of Common Prayer and the Worship Source Book and Value Vision and some of those great resources, the, the Bible. Um, we use some of those great resources to uh, impact our confession assurance and some of our liturgy. Um, but over time, uh, we, we were enjoying writing some. Uh, so we would think like, okay, what's happening in the church calendar? And we would kind of jot out the church calendar. What I mean by that is the, the large church calendar. Uh, we're, in, we're about to approach Advent, uh, Incarnation, Lent, Easter, Resurrection, etc. So we would try to follow that uh, real broadly. Not very specifically, but real broadly. It's, if it's happening, we're, we're, either, we're either overtly saying it or we're winking at it, you know. And um, so that's happening. Then we look at the preaching calendar, um, and we look at that arc. Okay, what are we preaching about over the next few months? Okay, we're in Revelation right now. Okay, we got that going on. Um, and then we'll look at the cultural calendar. What I mean by that is like what's happening in our city, and what cultural um, what cultural happenings are happening, like Halloween. Um, so Halloween's coming. Um, we start to look at that as part of like, okay, what frame of mind are people in? Fall break is here. What frame of mind are people in? Spring break is here. What frame of mind are people in? So we've got um, church calendar, cultural calendar, preaching calendar, and then our, our series, we get together, and our, our team is about five or six people, and it's built from um, heartful poetic people to some of our great the- theologians. We put these guys to get guys and girls together, and we start to go, what do we need to confess? And then what does the assurance look like in the midst of those three arcs? And we write that stuff. And sometimes that'll be simply the Book of Common Prayer. Sometimes we'll write it specifically. Um, but we've, uh, over, now over the last couple years, we've, we've written some really beautiful confessions and assurances. And uh, we're, we're starting to learn kind of what, what, our, what is our church want to say what is what do our people need to say and if i do if i build that team and side point um building a team is so much easier than doing it by yourself and then everyone's saying that was dumb you know (laughs) Uh, when you build a team you can be like me and my team did this for better or worse you know and uh there's different eyes and different perspectives seeing into it so um we'll build a team and we'll go through that process for like a three-month arc so i meet with them four times a year basically, and, um, and we build those liturgies. Okay, so confession assurance, we sing some more, uh, intercession. So that prayer time is, is, uh, is built to, sh- to um, connect with God's heart for the world outside of the church. It's not just a devotional prayer time. It's, it's usually like, um, uh, we want to pray for orphans today. We want to pray for... Um, uh, the, the foster care system today. We want to care. We want to pray today for the city rescue mission who cares for the homeless. 
So anything else, or you know, there were shootings uh, again this week in California. Let's pray for those people. Anything that God's heart would be for outside of our church. And again, that's Christ's formation. It's showing that if Jesus, if Jesus here on earth, Jesus in me here on earth would be weeping for these situations. How do we help our people pray for that and grow in compassion? Um, then we would go into our greeting time. I briefly mentioned that already. While we were against God, uh, He moved toward us. Uh, let's move toward each other like that. Greet each other. Now, when I, you know, six years ago, I said, hey, let's all, let's, you know, this is cool. We're all together. Let's do uh High fives and side hugs. That was my. That was the thing I said. Every high fives and side hugs are super weird, but um, uh, but you know, that was always a good time to hug you. Um, anyways, so so that's that's fun and it's kind of coolish maybe, um, but it's not Christ formation. It's not. It's not. Um, and there's a way maybe to merge those two out of your personality. You know, maybe you are a little bit sillier. I'm not. I'm not inviting everyone to be super serious, but man, you know, gosh, it's amazing we're all here together. This is beautiful. Jesus, can you move toward us while we're so against him? Let's just have fun together and greet each other, you know? It informs it. So, uh, then we do um, worship and giving, which is um, our offering and announcements. And uh, how do you help people take their money and not just not just reluctantly give it, but inform. Like, why? Why are you? Why are we inviting you to give your money? Because Christ gave everything. God owns everything, and this is a way that we can just give a small portion back to Him out of gratitude. So, then we move into the sermon. All those, all those other pieces that I already walked through. Um, a lot of that's done in teams. So I talked about the liturgy team. When we talk about our liturgy and our worship songs. Um, I oversee liturgy and I'll oversee worship songs. I'll bring that into a Tuesday morning el- central elder meeting, which is our key lead pastors. And I have everybody, we're four congregations, so I have all the pastors look through it. Um, I ask them for feedback because um, I'm super humble. So I ask them for feedback <laughs> and, um, and I make adjustments. You know, when we say it like this, it feels, feels like this. Okay, great. So we have a team that's written this liturgy, worship leaders that have chosen songs, these elders that get together and look through it, and then the next thing that happens is I take that to our a, a room full of about 10 worship leaders and let them present their songs and how they kind of go together and transitions and order and beats per minute and all those things. And then on a Thursday, each congregation gets together as a team and lead of pastors, and they go through their, their their final liturgy. So you talk about going through the gauntlet. I mean, it is going through the gauntlet. And um, not without feelings hurt. I mean, worship leaders bring songs that we decline. And uh, over time, I've had to like work with these guys and girls, but like, please, you know, we want to invite you into a bigger picture. I know that you love that song. You can sing as loud as you want in your car and in, in the shower. And I'll even sing it with you. If you want to sit right here and sing it, we're going to sing it together. But when it comes to what we're putting in the mouths and the hearts of 3,000 people, and we only have 52 weeks, and really probably only half of that that those people are showing up, and an hour and 15 minutes of each time, then we have very little time to lose to put the right things 
or the, at least the, our best shot at the right things, I could say, in their heart and in their mouth. So over time, we're starting to understand that as a culture a little bit better. And that doesn't mean that we're always right. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to risk things or any of that. So several teams happening, goes through the gauntlet. Sunday morning happens. And then it's about how do I stand in all these moments? How do I connect to Jesus? Father, what's not, what did we not put on the liturgy? What else do you want to say that's not on our planning center plan? What else shouldn't happen? What else did we think was going to happen that shouldn't happen? What needs to be rearranged? What are you saying right now with the people? And uh, uh, my wife and I have talked about uh, Kronos and Kairos time. There's chronological time, like planning center time. And there's Kairos time that's uncontrollable that God is in charge of. And how do those two things merge together in a moment? takes uh, us learning to be sensitive together to God and to the people where any piece of this liturgical plan and these songs and all that can be blown up in a moment because we invite you Holy Spirit to come and heal and save and bring revival and move man that was a long answer to your question sorry is each, is each, do you culminate in Lord's Supper every week or? yep Lord's Supper we do the Lord's Supper every week um it's our it's our big big response and remembrance. It's also our invitation to people that don't know Jesus to come know Jesus. You know. How often do you change um, like the forms that each element takes? So what I mean by that is a call to worship. We do call to worship as a song actually, and so that you know people are talking or whatever. We just start playing. And that kind of alerts everybody to, to sit down or, well, yeah. get to your seat. And Come in, follow asleep. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. right. But, but a call to worship, I've heard a lot of people do uh, a scripture reading and just start reading the scripture, and that's a, that's a call to worship. So how often do you change those, at least for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, that's why I, I wanted to focus on the intention of each piece. So the call to worship, the true call to worship in general would be, God is already at work. Come and join us. Come and see what He's doing. So that can be done through the Word of God, through a song. Um, it's not simply an attention getter, you know, as much as it is an attention an attention getter. Also, see and look what God is and what He's doing. Come in. Come and be with us. Come and stand to attention. Come let your heart be alert to what God's doing, because He cares about you and He sees you. So my question is kind of wildly specific while being general at the same time. Love it. <laughs> That's how I think. <laughs> how I think. Um, so when you were talking about, you know, the aesthetic and, and being hospitable, um, our church right now struggles with being hospitable to certain parts of our community. Yeah. Um, and so what we have accomplished is sort of a homogenous environment. Um, and I'm trying to have conversations that move us sort of into a broader vision. Um, and so I'm wondering if there are any like resources you have as how to even facilitate that conversation. Man, it's, I mean, I don't know of resources off the top of my head. I know that um, leading people toward that, it's, it's simple to start with a small group of people you can tell already care and tell them to be more overt about it. 
and to pull one person in with them as they do it. And, um, you know, I think uh, diversity is something that, you know, much of the church is fighting for and how to do that authentically and how to welcome people authentically and help people feel loved. I think there's a gift in people that do that that's real natural. And I think with any gift, when you add intentionality to it, um, it starts to really find its wheels. So um, if, if you've got a vision, for, like one of the things I had to learn to do a handful of years ago is my, my pastor was like, hey, you're training worship leaders. Um, it's obvious that things are happening around you, but you don't have anything written that would translate to how you did that or why. And um, so my last five years has been like, okay, um, this just impacted this guy, this girl. What, what did I do? What just happened? Where did it come from? And that's where like a lot of the stuff I'm saying to you guys today came from. So if you could do that with the concept of hospitality and aesthetic and words and follow-up and um, one of the things that we're slowly trying to do at our church is have um, people like what you're talking about assigned to sections because there's there's a typical kind of person that goes far back left in sadness or fear of I don't know what church is or I'm sad today or I don't belong and so it's like there's a certain person we go hey you are section F um, go go be with those people and it's typically a lot warmer person one of our pastors or ministers or deacons that's super warm and like we'll sit down with them you know and um, so we we're starting to assign sections. That's a that's a thing. But you find your I don't know how big the church is, but if you had two hundred people and you found ten people that you could lead into this mindset, that they could lead one other person in that mindset, and that you guys were committed to it, it would change the pulse of your church. As we're trying to do more congregational elements of, of liturgy, you know, we, structurally we've been doing liturgy for a long time. But adding issues of uh, components of confession and assurance and things like that, um, I think where I find that our church is where I'm, I say our church, I, I'm staff of one when it comes to the music department. Um, struggling is the connective tissue between all these parts. Like I, you know, I've I've seen and be able to read. You know, these are prayers and confession. This is how these work. These are you know assurance. And usually, use scriptural words of assurance. How do you train and help? Um, how we set those pieces up, how we keep explaining to the congregation these things, because this is where I feel like we are we are so lacking. Because unless you attend another church, you never see that stuff. Yeah. And the only one, the only the only place I've seen it is sometimes Sojourn <coughs> prints their liturgy and they actually do their little explanation blocks, which I, which is just so helpful. Uh, I was wondering how you guys do that, how you train that, and and if they're and um, just how to help us who can't come to your church how to to help us put the pieces together yeah yeah um i i try to find the simplest version of what each element is and in our planning center it's constantly in there so you know call to worship uh god is already at work it's an invitation to come and see come as you are um, and then I'll tell whoever's assigned to that moment, hey, try to say it your way in a language that's real to life and authentic 
<coughs> set it up, and they'll say something similar to what I wrote in there. Come, you know, it's an invitation to come see the gods at work. We just invite wherever you are on your journey to come. Listen to the holy scriptures as I read this, and then they read a scripture. So, not because we got into the place when we started liturgy where everybody was explaining it, and the explanation was three minutes. I, I got in trouble this week. Yeah. Not in trouble. I understand what when you're I saying. Said, I said after the service, and he said, Yeah, your setup was a little too much. And I said, I'm showing my math. Yeah. And, and I don't need, and, and, that, and it was yeah. too much. Yeah, and so, like the, the greeting time, man, God. God welcomed us when when we when we were against him. Let's let's move toward each other like that. So it's the simplest line, and that's that's that work on your side porch by the fire that you sit and you think, what was this really about? What's really happening in this element, and how do I say it in a really authentic human way that invites people to the beauty and the power of God? Um, you know, benediction. Hey, we want to give you a blessing from the authority of Scripture and then send you back into your city to be a missionary. Open up your hands. Yes. Uh, I thought you were saying, you're number one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to give you a little bit of context where I'm at to give you my question. Uh, so I just started at a little Acts 29 church down in Texas. And uh, it's four years old. There's about 200 people that attend every Sunday, which is large for the area, and uh, I just started in August, grew up Southern Baptist, and the the amount of liturgy that I've experienced is three songs before the sermon, maybe we'll read some scripture, and we just sing along or whatever, so I'm wanting, I, I have a deep heart for restructuring and liturgy, just period, uh, it's it's like like a new meal to me, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just laughing all this up. But I am struggling with, man, the congregation I have that I'm, I'm standing up there on stage and I'm attempting to do these things, they haven't built these rhythms either. And I don't even know how to begin starting liturgy in my church um, in a way that doesn't freak people out because yeah. it's going to freak people out it would have freaked me out you know and uh, what the most that I've done is I've began you know man I'm going to stop in the middle of this song we're going to read like uh, I'm singing a song that's built out of Psalm 8 I'm going to stop in the middle of the song I'm just going to read the entirety of that song um, and I'm by myself. I haven't been able to build a team. Can't find anybody <laughs> that is even remotely. They're like, yeah, once you, if you can't find anybody, come see me in six months. I'm like, no, I need you like tomorrow. You know. So, is your um, is your pastor with you on liturgy? Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, we're we're both very uh, excited about it. And see, he comes from an Episcopalian background, and so his heart is definitely for it. Um, but he also is like, I don't. I grew up in that. I knew it. That was the rhythm that I had mm-hmm. was to have liturgies, but I didn't have. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to introduce that to other people. I, I mean, so sim- simplest response at this point is um, maybe do, um, you know, pick a few elements at a time. Okay. Uh, don't over-explain things. Um, maybe maybe a short explanation on the screen, you know, would suffice. Yeah. So you can just go into it. I know a lot of people still have bulletins, you know. I like call them gathering. I like faces up though, 
So we've chosen not to do that, but those are great. You know, I know Sojourn does that. Um, there's something beautiful about that. I like I like faces up and I like heads free, you know. So um, so anything you can put on the screen that's not like now you've got everybody reading up up you know, then you got to think about how you're writing it up there and all those things. But um, just a little at a time, plodding along. And if you know why, this is this is important, and probably a lot of you already know this. If you know why you're doing anything, it becomes compelling both to your own heart and to other people's, if you can say it. The, why you do something changes everything about it. If you do something to emulate what you saw work, it, it feels mechanical and inauthentic to people. If you know why you're doing it and, and you're making it simple and clear, it, um, it begins to translate much easier. Maybe one more question. Could you walk us through your set list the first night that you did it, the songs you picked, the way you transitioned? You know, the, you, you said Spurgeon, I think you said you, you, you had us do a call and response. Yeah, yeah, yes. Could you just maybe put, take us behind the curtain a little bit? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so, um, I tried to put a, a list of songs um, together that would be, that would feel vibrant and... Um, that would have moments where they felt devotional and affectionate. Um, I think we're this is a more of a theological conference in some sense, and so that typically the people that are coming to this live more in their in their minds and their hearts. So my hope was to help people pull back down into their hearts um, some, and that's something for you. You know, there's a way. You know, when we did um, the bridge to better is one day. It's, it's like I'm, you know, we gotta tap into our affections for God. I, you know, if we sing a sturdy theological hymn, it should impact our affections. But um, a lot of times it doesn't. You know, sometimes it, sometimes it, it impacts our, uh, um, you know, our childhood memories. You know, it's like, oh, I love this old hymn. You know, so we're we're trying to take lyric and and devotion and impact our affections. So I was thinking in light of that, um, I was thinking like, how, how do we celebrate um, uh, a mixture of hymns, a mixture of nobility, and, uh, and then just taking people on a journey. And then I started thinking about everyone doing ministry in here and, and how the turn the Spurgeon, that Spurgeon devotion, I just took his, his main line from that devotion and I just had that be the responsive over and over. Um, I the door of the I stand at the door of the all sufficient. Um, you should be able to look at it. it's in morning and evening, um, or you can email email me and I can send it send it to you. Um, so so it's most of it for me was like going okay these are probably generally theological people that need to experience in their heart and in their skin and in their mind. Um, the presence and goodness of God, and I, those were, and I needed to own the songs authentically. So I, I, I probably picked songs that I really engage with as well. You know. Remember, if you know why you're doing something, it's simple and clear, especially to a larger group of people than you. Because what I think is simple and clear is usually a little bit complicated, or artsy or flowery. You know, <laughs> as I start to put it through other people's. You know, visuals. It's it gets a little bit more clear, simple. Why do you do it? 
and then what you're putting in people's mouth um, I told my kids now that now they're 17 18 the two older ones are 17 18 but I told them over and over hey what they'd be watching something I'd say what have you put in your mind and your and your heart it sh- it, I mean what have you put in your your eyes and your ears shapes your heart you know and and uh, I was talking about music and TV but then I started going on this journey and it's like it's really true I mean whatever we're, this what we're choosing to sing and to speak and to hear is shaping our heart and so we've got to be wise we don't need to be um, arrogant and we don't need to think we know it all or that we chose the best but we need to be wise and humble in what we what we're picking and choosing for people I know it sounds obvious but I, I'm just kind of catching up so